Hasina Munsi, the co-founder of Life Science Talent Partner. After she successfully climbed the ranks of a recruitment business and became their top biller, in January 2022, she decided to launch her very own recruitment business with her co-founder, Chris. In just two short years, they've grown the team to a team of six and generated circa two million in revenue. So how did she do it? This is what you're going to learn in this week's episode. How to overcome and manage self-doubt when launching your own business. How to build a contract desk entirely from scratch. The secret to maintaining long-term relationships with your contractors. The art of lead generation and how to become world-class at maximizing information from your network. And so, so much more. Let's get into this week's episode. Hasina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to this. I know you, so you, <laughs> we were just saying you've been told by several people, like you being on a podcast would be, would be interesting. So. Yeah, I have a lot to say, so let's see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we got here because your, your co-founder said that you are one of the, the best contract recruiters he's ever worked with. Could be true. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he went into business with me, so yeah, like I think that got says that something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, so we're we're going to talk about your nearly six years in the recruitment industry. What we're going to mainly focus on today is for the last two, you've been building CHR Life Sciences with Chris. Yeah. Did you work with each other at HRS? Yeah. So funnily enough, Chris actually recruited me into recruitment. Okay, nice. Yeah. So, so Chris was your like first manager. Yeah. So I had an interview with him and our old founder. Mm. And then they said, you know, why do you want to do recruitment? Mm. And I just sat there and I was like, do you know what? I'll be honest, it's not something I thought of. I wanted to enter medical sales. And I think pharmaceutical recruitment gave me that sort of impact on the industry that I wanted. Mm. And I went on to talk about that. And then I was like, so it's like Chris is my fairy godmother. (laughs) (laughs) It made me memorable. Um, Got me the job. So, yeah. So you worked at HRS for nearly four years. Yeah. Was one of their their top pillars there. And you've always been in contracts, which is why... I said to you, right, in terms of why Chris dropped me a note is I've really tried to have a push on having more contract recruiters on the pod because I've had a lot more perm recruiters. And then since you set up CHR, you did a retainer to start, yeah. but you've <laughs> like been building a contract book. Yeah, that's right? correct. So just to give people some highlights then. So let me know if I get any, any of this wrong. Okay. So in terms of like before you started your own business... I think you shared to me that over the three years that you were there, overall you made, you did a million in, in profit in three years across the, over the yeah, three so years. Yeah, so in three years. And then by the time I left, it was probably a bit more. Yeah. And then I think I've got here 50K monthly. Was that like your peak? Yeah, I'd say that was my peak. And then Record Ward Contract Recruit of the Year 2021. Let's go. Yeah, thank Won you. Cheers. <laughs> Two years ago, though. <laughs> um, still, though. Pretty cool. Um, cool. So there's some of the things around HRS. And then in terms of, your own business now with Chris, where we're at is you're going to do this year circa 2 million in revenue and then there's five of you in the business. And I think you shared with me here in terms of way around, you're around uh, year two contract billings wise, you've written up around 500k. Yeah, well it's almost 600 now. Okay, nice. Cool. All right. So we're going to unpack this journey that you've been on. So let, let's start though. I'd love to hear your take on what do you believe are the, the common characteristics and traits that make up a successful contract recruiter? 
So for contract recruiters, I feel like Chris even still gives it to me. He's like, oh, contract recruiters are like slimy car salesmen. And I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> like The good ones aren't. So I think the two things would have to be they've got to be confident and they've mm. got to be humble. Because when you're building out a contract desk and you're building those connections, people see through they see through you. Mm. They become your friends and they're not going to like you if you're arrogant. They're not going to like you if you are like that typical, I, I guess, stereotypical recruiter mm. where, you know, people don't have a good rep. Yeah. So I think those are the two main things. You've got to be confident in that you'll go to events. Similar to how we met, I just mm. went up to you. Mm. I was like, are you Hisham? And you're like, yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to mm. put yourself out there and you've got to get comfortable in the uncomfortable. I feel like, I don't know if you found this, either when you was at HRS or when you're hiring people now, sometimes people can have a hard time being themselves in like a work context. How did you find that? Like, was it quite natural for you to like be your like authentic self? Obviously you hear that word a lot, right? Yeah. So I don't know, how did you find that? Cause it definitely took me a bit of time. Yeah. Like if I think of when I first started in recruitment, I really like, I don't know, it wasn't like a really natural voice. I was quite concerned about how I'd be perceived yeah, I think it comes down to individuals. I was really lucky that I had a really good team when I was at HRS. Mm. Like we all got along really well. We worked well together. And I'm someone who can just be myself easily because I'm kind of like, well, if you don't like it, then that's on you. And I think even with my contractors, I am pretty much myself. Yeah. But it comes down to different people because we had one girl who started. Our first employee came in, obviously sitting with two directors. I'd hate for that to be me. <laughs> she came in, sat on her bag. And she was nervous. But it takes time, yes, to build up to being who you actually are. But that's normal in any job, I think. Mm. I think it's getting that fine balance between showing who you are, but also having that professional side as well. Why do you think you're, it's quite easy for you to not be, con like what you just said there, it isn't common for everyone in terms of like, if, if you don't like who I am, then that's that's fine. I think a lot of people are worried about <laughs> other people's opinions. Like, where yeah. where's that come from? I think it comes with age. I'm not that old, but... <laughs> <laughs> But I, so I used to be really shy. Like, really? Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't order something in a restaurant. I would be really? so shy. Yeah, I was. You wouldn't order something in a restaurant? <laughs> no. So who would order stuff at you? Mum and dad. Wow. Brother, sister, friends. I would not think uh, that. Yeah, I was such a shy girl. And then, yeah, I got my first job at 14 and it was at Kumon. So it's like maths and English. And I was put on the front desk. So doing that, I had to speak to parents, kids every Saturday morning, every Monday evening. So it changed. And it just changed me. And I think from that young age, working and putting yourself in situations you don't like, you just have to be, I hate it, but people say be unapologetically yourself. <laughs> it's actually so cringe, but it's true. Like in recruitment, because you spend so much of your time at work, going to events, speaking to people, it's long hours. You can't fake it. Like people mm. say fake it till we make it. Don't do that. That's the worst thing you can do. Be mm. yourself. Wow. I, can't, that's quite, I would not <laughs> imagine you to say that you're shy. I was such a shy girl. Really? Yeah. I don't know what happened. Don't know what changed. Yeah. But. No, that's awesome. Let's get into this. Like you, obviously, I want to talk about the, the last two years, right? Mainly. But I guess, how did you feel going into knowing the, because I feel like the really interesting thing about contract recruitment, I was just interviewing someone that's in perm recruitment. You go into the next year and you're back to zero. Mm. which is, is that's hard, it's, it's like part of the process. But with contract recruitment, there's a lot to, to walk away from. Yeah. If you leave the company you work for, you've worked your absolute socks off to get to your get your contract back to where it is. And for you to then leave, it's like, fuck, that, like, there's even more to like yeah. leave, right? So you and Chris starting this business, you had to leave what you'd built. You had to leave, you knew how much money you was making each month. No doubt, like it was really challenging to get to where it, where, where it got to. 
like I've learned about you, you really take your relationship seriously. So you also know you're going to have to not be able to speak to these yeah. people anymore. <laughs> so like, just talk to me about, you know, particularly as a contract recruiter starting a recruitment business. What was going through your mind going into those first early months? Because like you basically had to start from from zero, yeah. which you wouldn't have for the four years and, and when you started building things up, right? Yeah, I think they all call it golden handcuffs because you're walking away from a big fat book yeah. and you're getting paid off that book regardless of whether you bill or not. And that was hard. Like it was like, I'm walking away from this. I've taken off like the safety blanket. I'm not going to be able to speak to the people that I speak to every day for six months. It was like a breakup, but with like a hundred different people. Because it's like, <laughs> you're so used to talking to them and like they send you pictures of their grandkids. Like you're always messaging, you're always on the phone. Like I remember one time a contractor called me at 8pm. I was like, what's happened? Is someone dying? Why is he calling me? Turns out I just wanted to chat. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and it's like taking that away for six months was so, so difficult. And I also remember like it was between Christmas and New Year. I messaged Chris at like 3am and I was like, I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because it's such a big step that you've got to take. But the thing that I had like the faith in was my relationships. And I thought these first six months, actually, it's not a bad thing. Because what I did was went out to another market built that out mm. and that's benefited us today and then once those six months are over everyone's buzzing to hear from you like I remember I was just back to back with calls like non-stop for like two three weeks just people wanting to know where I've been what I've done unfortunately all I'd done was work <laughs> <laughs> nothing exciting but they were so engaged in the journey and I think I mentioned to you before like those relationships that you build so one of the first ever contractors I met I met him at King's Cross Station for a coffee no idea what he looked like no picture on LinkedIn his WhatsApp picture was Tasmania I was like I don't know yeah I was like what's gonna happen (laughs) met him loveliest guy ever still meet up with him for coffees now and he introduced us to one of our biggest clients Mm. so it's those relationships that you're not going to see the benefit of straight away but you will get there and you'll build it but you've got to have that genuine desire to build those relationships, build out your market. Because if you do it well, then you're laughing. What was going through your mind at 3am that made you send that message? Like, what was you most fearful of? Because I think this is good for people to know, like, who are in contract recruitment. And, you know, a lot of people, you can do these interesting things now on. If you listen to the podcast on Spotify, I can do, like, polls. And one of the polls I did recently was, how many of you have thought about setting up on your own? Yeah. And a lot of people voted, yeah, I think about it a lot. And I feel like when you're in contract, as we've said, there's a lot more to walk away from. So what was it that you was really fearful of? Was it fearful of, of failing? Was it fearful of being, did you back yourself to like build up the book again? What was you really fearful of? So I had another offer oh. and it was for a... To be employed? Exec- yeah, be employed, executive search company, building out their contract function because that's what will make them profitable when they want to sell. And it was a fat offer. They were giving me a guarantee for six months. Big juicy one. Yeah, it was amazing. And I was like, I'm walking away to literally go to nothing. (laughs) But then Chris sort of put it to me. He was like, you're building out a contract function for someone else. Why wouldn't you want to do it for yourself? He's like, you know you can do it. And I think it was that, I think they call it imposter syndrome, Mm. where I'm kind of like, oh no, can't do it, not good enough. Mm. And it's just having that faith and like belief in yourself because you can do it. You've got the relationships, you've got the know-how, you've got the methodology. You need to apply it to a new market for the first six months and then from there, build it back up. Yeah. That's so it's, fair enough. Yeah. So was, oh yeah, I forgot you said, yeah, there's another offer on the table. Yeah, that must have been... Uh... Yeah, it was. I was kind of at the point where I was like, look, when I left, I was, what, 25, mm. didn't have like a husband, didn't have a kid, I had a mortgage, but it, it was fine. Like I was like, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to set up and we fail. 
then I just find another job. Yeah, that I was going to say, like, I find it really useful in those scenarios just to genuinely ask, really think about what is the worst case scenario. And when you have the skill set that you do, the worst case scenario is you go back to the fat or off offer and, and do that for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that was, like, when I set up, that was the absolute right time for me to do it because I thought, you know, five, seven, ten years down the line, I might be in a completely different situation. Mm. I might, you know, have more responsibilities than I did. And I was like, if I set up now, that long-term gain is going to be there for me. Yeah. And I think we're doing okay. Nice. So, so I know I know we didn't want to talk about the 90-day the plan, right, which I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but obviously I think, I think people would want to know like how you approach those first six months because, of course, you would have loved to just, yeah, be able to – that's why we have covenants, right? People need to protect their business. So how did you go about that? Was it straight to, right, who can I get on the phone to? Who can I start building relationships with? Like how did you approach those first uh, couple of months – so in the UK, I've got quite a specific market. So it was QP, so that's a qualified person. They essentially release a drug to market, say that it's safe in mm. literal layman's terms. I thought... That's what you did previously, sorry. Yeah, so that's what I was doing, doing it again now. And I thought that, look at the UK, can't touch that because everyone I've worked with is, like, they're the contractors to be in touch with. I was like, so I can't do that at all. So I thought, where's logical for me to look at? So I looked at Ireland because I was like, no language barrier, no time difference and the method in terms of recruitment is the same mm. like it's all contract you've got the professionals and you know what they need to do so I was like let me go to Ireland let me build that out but then I was like at the same time to de-risk it if the Irish QP market is rubbish let me look at different areas so I stupidly <laughs> looked at I did a bit in Belgium did a bit in Germany and I think if one thing if I could go back and change something I would have just stuck to Ireland completely just committed to that yeah I think I say Inch wild, mile deep. Yeah. That's what I would have done. I think I spread myself too thinly, and I think that's the Why biggest. Why do you think you did that? Panicking. <laughs> Just kind of like, if this market doesn't work out, I need like backup. But it did work out, mm. and I should have had more belief in myself. But at the same time, I think I've learned a lot from that. How long would you? Because I'm sure you will help future people in your team think about this. But like, how long would you give a market from a contract terms in terms of for you to feel like? I've given this a good, if you're doing like the basics right, the thing that I'm doing, the, the things I need to do right, how long would you typically give it to go, you know what, we've really given that market a crack. Maybe it wasn't what we thought it was. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like I'm going to delve into a 90 day plan here. Huh? So, do you know, just in terms of yeah. like, what, you, like, because you hmm. said you would have gone to other places because you might not have been seeing the things that you thought you would have been yeah. seeing by that time. So I'm just curious, like, from looking back or whatever, yeah. how long do you think is a fair amount of time to go, you know what, I've really given that market a go? Because you could leave too early. You yeah. could, like, is what you're saying. You could leave on, like, the cusp of a deal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So with me, what I would do first is they always say candidate is king. And I truly, or queen, because got steak politically correct of course, of course. but your candidate's going to give you everything so i would spend a good one two months speaking to the candidates getting to know them and i said to the guy that i'm training at the moment every call you have with a candidate you've got to come up with a fun fact for them so like, hey, what sorry a fun fact a fun fact yeah that's a new so, one so we're not we're not we're not lead it was like <laughs> i don't want leads I, don't. I want fun facts no it's true <laughs> i was like i want a fun fact because no offense someone called you and they wanted a lead straight away you're not going to give it to them i don't know you i don't trust you like who are you yeah Whereas if you get a fun fact from them, that's something that you can call them back and you can ask them about it. What could the fun fact well, be then? Well, the first guy I got him to call, I was like, call this guy. I was like, I know the fun fact about him that he'll tell you. Find it out. Okay. Fun fact was on a Wednesday afternoon and Saturday morning, he trains karate. And I knew that. I knew that he, the guy was in 
my consultant's market and I was like, you need to find out what it is. Next time you called him, oh, how was karate last night? And building that and just finding something really random that other people don't care about, but the individual is actually passionate about themselves helps you stand out because it shows you care about them as a person because we are all human. We don't mm. want to be treated like just another candidate on a system who's got a few buzzwords on the CV. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, build out the candidate side. Speak to them for a good few months. That will help you get your leads. That I'd say most of my leads now are generated from my candidates. They just call me up and they say, oh, I'm contracting here. Like loads of candidates to speak to I've never placed, but they give me the leads. They bring the business in mm. because it's that relationship that you've got and people want to help people. Yeah. But people that they trust. So it's going back to that whole humble piece. So one, two months, really commit to the candidates, as you said. Yeah. And then what would be some of the like green shoots that you'd expect to see? Is it is the main thing that I should be looking at is the amount of leads that I'm getting in terms of like projects and things that are going on. Yeah. That would make me feel like, right, there's, there's definitely some traction in this market or there's things that, that's happening that is making me feel better about giving it another two months. We'll get back to the episode in just one minute, but today I'm excited to talk to you about one of our partners, Sourcewell, the industry-leading business development and headhunting platform. At the end of last year, Sourcewell released an exciting new feature, the platform's very own live feed. Being honest with you, this feature has been one of my favorites to date because it tells you exactly who's engaging with your outreach in real time. This means you can easily tell which lead is hot and which is not, so you can connect with the right people at the right time to skyrocket your engagement. You can actually hear from one of our mentors and 2023 panelists, Amber Penrose, on how she's achieved instant results with Sourcewell's new feature, Live Feed. The Sourcewell Live List feature has enabled me to become a secret little stalker and to contact my ideal customer profile whilst they're at their desks. And especially for someone like me who works in biotech, where computer time, understandably, for a lot of scientists just isn't prevalent, this has been a huge help. And for example, a biotech vice president of HR who I have been politely pestering for what feels like my entire life finally picked up the phone to me because I cold called her after she'd clicked on my email four times in a row, which Sourcewell kindly had let me know. To the point where she actually giggled during my cold call opener and responded with, are you in the office watching me? <laughs> and despite that awkward encounter, we're now working on a retained project with them in Boston. And that wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for Sourcewell. As you can see, Sourcewell is a great tool for driving better engagement, more meetings and higher revenue. If you're looking for a competitive edge in 2024, then Sourcewell could be for you. You can book a demo with Sourcewell and mention the Recruitment Mentors podcast to enjoy an extra 50 phone and 50 email credits per user. And this exclusive offer for this community is going to save you circa £500 or more and is only going to be available until March the 31st. So click the link in the show notes or you can go directly to sourcewell.com forward slash demo. Yeah, because if you're building those relationships with the candidates, ultimately they'll give you the leads. So those are your green shoots. Mm. You find out a lead, you contact the company, you get the roll on, you speak to more candidates. They're like, okay, this girl or guy knows what they're talking about mm. because they know that that project's happening there. From that, you know, you do your classic recruitment. Okay, so exposing all my secrets here. <laughs> Everyone, everyone does. It's all good. <laughs> okay, so I've got this role here. They're like, I'm not interested. I'm like, why aren't you interested? Oh, because I've got another project I'm in interviewing for. What's that? 
and you just build it out from there. Yeah. That gives you a new lead and it's just that cyclical thing. Mm. And I think with the thing with contract is it's very much up and down, buoyant. Things can happen literally overnight. I remember a few years ago before the Christmas party, got a new job on, had to deliver the candidate the offer literally as we were leaving. Really? Yeah, literally massive deal. Like, Contract's mad like that, isn't it? Because yeah. like, if you didn't take action on that, someone else could have got exactly. that. If it wasn't exclusive, like you have to fucking just be on it for the yeah. next like 48 hours, basically. Literally. And that's why I hate taking annual leave. <laughs> so I'm like, took a day off my birthday. Chris posts, new consultant role available. I literally called him up. I was like, what are you doing? He was like, it's your birthday. Have a day off. I was like, honestly get lost like, <laughs> no is that the case though you've got like if you get given a contract role like do you literally have to be on it for 48 hours like, I'd say 24 if I'm honest really so in 24 hours where would you want to be in terms of like sent over free contractors for them to meet yeah yeah it would be a question of I tried to do it on the so let's say I had a call after this new contract role I'd expect to have three to five CVs by the end of the day to the client yeah because that shows that you know who to call your in with the network and then what I'd spend the rest of so first 24 hours get the profiles that are going to go to the client next 24 hours closing off the rest of the market because people move quick people find out quickly and mm. you've got to be on top of it yeah you've got to always yeah just close off everyone that you can that is a mad thing about contract isn't it yeah it just, just it, you've got to be but I'm it. impatient so I love contract I don't think I could do perm yeah too much waiting because on the flip side if you get a lead mm. and you find out who the company is how long would you attempt to like action that lead or like try and get hold of them before you like stop trying to action it if you get what I mean because I think there's also a bit of a time window there right because you know how quickly people can move yeah so if you just found found out so and so there's a contract project over here or they're hiring contractors yeah and then you're trying to get hold of them. Are you giving it like 48 hours trying to be all over it and then you're following up or do you know what I mean? Do you have like a, a window on that where you're like, this is probably being filled. I'm still going to try and get hold of that. I don't know. So I would, so what I would do is find out the lead from a candidate. Hmm. Straight away, I'd call the next best person I know for that job and say, have you been called about this role? Because I know my competitors, they're amazing. Hmm. Like there's one guy who's doing really well and I know that he would have called that person if he's on that job. Mm. so I will call the next best person see if they've been called and then after that I'll call the client and I'd say I've got you someone who is what you're looking for can solve this problem that you yeah and that's yeah that's how I'd work it that's a great little tip to be fair thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah rather than yeah but do you think there is a bit of a because I'm, I'm just like probing you about it because I do feel like it's definitely different to perm obviously but because of the way that you're what you, the way that you operate, there's got to be like a shelf life of like how long that lead yeah. is like. Do you know what I mean? Like hot, for example. Yeah, it's I'd like say, a, sh a much shorter window. Obviously. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, you get a contract role. So we had someone interview five weeks ago. Offer came through this week. Oh. Yeah. Mental moves a lot more quicker, no? Mm. Well, I think someone went off, and then there was like some sort of half term, like an extended one for one of the hiring manager's kids. Right. And things just got delayed. The site's got some other issues. They're moving licenses about and stuff like that. Mm. Offer came through and I'm like, that's too late because you know how quickly contract moves. And TA guy was like, yeah, probably gone, but we want to offer him. And I'm like, you've got to move quicker. Mm. But you'd be surprised that like my first ever 360 deal took a good few months to come in. Did it? And I was like, this isn't contract. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was a contract role. Just took months because client had different terms that they wanted us to sign. 
How long did it take to do your first 360 contract deal? First deal was a retainer, uh, three oh, yeah. months in. Three months in? <laughs> yeah, but that I got from a lead because they wanted a consultant. And then you was doing, that was perm? That was, yeah, that was perm. Smashing some perm deal? Yeah, Let's got, go. it's got to be done. <laughs> <laughs> so how I long did it take to do your first contract deal? Four though? months. Four months, yeah, fair. That's yeah, same client. I was like... Same client, that's interesting. Same client. Basically, sold them the retainer dream. And I was like, look, what you want, you want it so soon. Let's put a contractor in place because they can also help sort of like navigate and guide what you're looking for. Because yeah. I think they were a bit unsure. Nice. Let me ask you this then. Like what I continue to learn in these conversations is you hear this term lead so much yeah. in contract, right? Yeah. And if I start a job in your team, like I'm sure I'm going to hear that word lead multiple times in my first week. So like people will be drilled on this so early. So people are aware that they need to get leads. But I'd love to just hear your take on when Hasina first started, how did your call sound when you wasn't maybe very good at getting leads compared to like how they sound now when you're more effective at getting leads? Because I think that, you know, that's like a skill to get leads, right? You're talking about someone isn't just going to give you the leads I want you to find out a fun fact about them so what did your like contractor calls sound like when maybe you feel like you wasn't that good at getting leads and then what do they sound like when you're probably more effective at doing it yeah all I got from that is you want to work for CHR <laughs> <laughs> come in week one just hammer the word leads into you yeah no so I think in the first instance it can be awkward because they don't know you you don't know them and that's where that whole fun fact thing comes into place mm. and I think when you first start out you're gonna have to ask the difficult questions but at the same time when you're looking for leads they can be anything so they can be he can you know you can speak to someone and they can say oh well, I know x person's leaving y company they're my best mate or my contract's not being extended here because they're looking for a perm and then that's obviously a perm lead that you can pass over mm. you can a lead can be built from anything and I think any good call you have even if it is the first one you will find out something whether that's finding out that oh I've just left this company you then know that that company take contractors mm. so that puts you in an excellent position to contact that company and say I know you take contractors I'm a contract specialist how do you take them do you take them directly do you take them through agencies how can I position myself to be the next person you call when you need another contractor? Because I'm working with ex-candidate who's just left you and I know that you think he's good because you wanted to extend him, but you couldn't because of X, Y, Z. So I think it, anything can be used as part of like your business development Yeah. because it's just so important to try and draw that information out, but not do it in a like a direct way like you've got to be not sly about it but you've got to do it in a way that people want to open up to you so that's the that's the difference yeah so wait, what's that, how does it sound then at the start is it just like I'm literally going Hasina where have you interviewed oh no, I, don't, I don't think I do that but like at, the start, yeah. at the start though like at you said start. it's a bit like direct and a bit like a bit awkward yeah. like is that how these calls end up sounding it's like oh like wh- where are you interviewing or like do you, do you mind telling me where your friend is interviewed or like do you yeah. know what I mean I'll probably more go down if I was new I'd probably go blah 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 hmm. you know small talk and then I'll present them with if I'm working a job I'll present them with the job right. and then if they say no I'd say okay why not and then they might say because I've got two other applications that I've made. So I'll be like, okay, so how does that compare to what I'm showing you? And they might say, okay, well, the one that I'm interviewing for is 10 miles down the road from where I live and I can work from home. And then what you do is you then look at that candidate and you see, okay, where do they live? What's 10 miles away from them? Map out on a map all the companies that fit that parameter. Mm. And then you'll call every single company that fits into that location and you'd say, do you need someone? I've got someone. So it'll be not so direct you can be direct it works for a lot of people it's conversational yeah like it's just not my style to be like 
brash about it and be like, where are you interviewing, hun? Give me your leads. <laughs> because people aren't stupid. They know what you're doing. They know you're a yeah, recruiter. Yeah, of course. They're, exactly. I was preparing with what we did the other day, but with this guy, David, for a, a training session on marshalling the, the cold call to like present your contract solution. Yeah. He's felt like in his career, the most common objection that you run into is you were just talking about like calling a business stuff. And I really like the way that you spoke about that. But he said the most common objection that he f- finds that contract recruits run into is we don't use freelancers. Oh. Has that been your experience or not? Not so much, but I think that's really market specific. Our market is heavily reliant on contractors. Really? Yeah, because our contractors are either brought in to solve a problem or to build something new. Mm. Or even just maybe like a little intermediary kind of person. But there's always that need. Some companies, you're right, they won't use a contractor. But it's also then addressing the issue of, okay, well, how long will you look for a permanent person? Because if there's like a skills shortage or something, you're going to have to consider something. And it's like, okay, well, if you're not going to consider a contractor, are you then going to promote from within? And then if they say yes, be like, okay, well, what about the gap that that person's then leaving? And then again, that's sort of pushing in your perm solution. Because I think a lot of people sort of miss out on cross-selling as well. Mm. There's so many opportunities that come from that. And I think that's something that Chris and I do quite well. Like we complement each other's work and that's what we're building out in our teams. Like cross-selling is so, so important. Yeah. He sort of shares exactly what you're talking about where it's like you have to ask like the, the why of yeah. like and how. Because then that, that can lead to the information that you just said. Exactly what you just went through then. It's like... Also, like, how are you going to approach, like, you still need that need right now. So, like, how are you going to approach dealing with that issue? Yeah. And then they say, well, we've got someone internally dealing with it at the moment. They're a bit stretched or whatever. It's like, okay, well, like you just said, and then that can lead to different things, right? Yeah. That That's interesting. So, when the six months hit then, is it just straight on WhatsApp, like, it was... team, I'm back, what are you saying? <laughs> like, did you just get straight back to it? Yeah, it was a LinkedIn post of my laptop in my mum and dad's garden. It was a sunny day. <laughs> yeah. And it was just the classic, hi, everyone. We're <laughs> um, good to connect with everyone again. Yeah. And then I put a little Calendly link for people yeah. can book in time. And that just went wild. Comments, messages. And what was the objective of these calls? Just like, just, just literally just... Literally catching up, just seeing, how are you? How's the family? What have you been up to? Yeah, what's new? Mm. More on the personal side. Because to mm. be honest, I wasn't expecting to get like loads of leads and stuff. Like it was... It was summer, like not that much happens. And I just have that genuine like friendship with my contractors to want to know what they've been up to mm. and what they've done in the last six months. Why is that so important to you? That's a horrible question. Why? No, <laughs> I'm just know. curious because like... Yeah, just, I don't know how to answer it. It's I've, just, I've, had people on, I've had people on before where like they're like really passionate about that. I'm just curious like I why just... that's so important. We'll get back to the episode in just one minute. But today I'm excited to talk to you about one of our partners, Firefish the recruitment CRM that accelerates data-driven growth. Being able to benchmark your agency's performance against others in your industry has always been impossible until now. Our partners at Firefish have just recently released their industry benchmarking dashboards, taking data insights to the next level by enabling you to benchmark your own performance, your recruiters' and team's performance against others within your sector. The benchmarking dashboards are built on anonymized placement, sales, and KPI data, so Firefish users can get a monthly snapshot of their agency's performance benchmarks against their peers in seconds, something I'm sure a lot of you would be interested in. If you want to learn more about benchmarking dashboards or find out how Firefish can support your company's growth this year, 
they very kindly offered our community, the Recruitment Mentors Podcast, a special offer that's going to save you thousands of pounds. Now, this offer is only available until March the 31st. So you can click the link in the show description or you can head to firefishsoftware.com forward slash RMP. I think it's like we spoke about before, like that human connection. Mm. And I think the worst thing for me is letting someone down. Okay. Like whether that's like my mom, dad, brother, sister, Chris, business, like anyone, like any of my friends or anything like that. Like I don't want to let people down. And I think going into a contract market, you're going to put your all in to make things happen for your candidates. Mm. And if you don't have that sort of desire to help them, because ultimately it's their liveliness that you're looking after. Because if they're not in a contract, they're not working. They can't pay for their holidays and stuff like that. Mm. So I just feel like a bit, I don't know, just a bit of like responsibility, I guess. In okay. terms of, I want to help my friends out. Mm. Like, yeah, it's it's a hard question. But it's just kind of, I don't know, I guess it's how I am. Like, mm. with my friends, like, I'll put everything into my friendships because that's something that's important to me. How do you keep on top of it all? That, that's what I also find baffling <laughs> about contracts. Like, because at, at your peak HRS or now, whatever, like, how, how many runners did you have at one point? I had 28. How, how do you keep on top of that? Because you've got to just, stay in touch with these people, right? Yeah. Like, is it a weekly thing? Is it a bi-weekly thing? Is it just a WhatsApp weekly message? Thing. What are we saying? When I was at HRS, it was more just telephone calls. Yeah. Just catching up with them every week, just to see how it's going. But a lot of the time, it wouldn't be about the contract. It would just be like, oh, what have you been up to this week? How's your weekend? How's the dog? Right. Stuff like that. Now, I find it difficult because I don't, I don't speak to my contract as much as I'd want to because I'm also running a business. Mm. And that's one thing that I find sort of like the hardest because like I can't dedicate that time to always speaking to them because I'm also like training people, mm. doing business stuff. And I think that that's, yeah, that's probably the hardest part. Like you feel like you've, you're have you missing out. But at the same time, like... You're missing out? Yeah, just on chats and like <laughs> stuff like Getting that. Getting FOMO on what the <laughs> yeah. contractors are up to. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, like I spoke to my contractor yesterday. I hadn't spoken to him in like two, three weeks. And normally we speak like every week mm. or every other week at least. I was like, what's going on? He said, oh, he's like, I'm just busy. I was just fluffing the Christmas tree. <laughs> I was like, okay, you do you. But it's just like, it's hard to do everything. Yeah. So and how much, if you're a contract recruiter, how much of your week, if we're to do like percentage, how yeah. much of your week do you think should be spent like speaking to your existing contracts, as you think? Depends how many you've got. I think if you're starting out your career and you've got five contractors, you should put in your diary to call them, I don't know, like every Tuesday afternoon mm. or every Friday afternoon or something like that like it should be there they should know that they're going to get a call from you mm. every week just to check in but saying that some contractors don't like it really yeah I had one of my first placements over in Ireland called him when he started then sort of checked in with him and then he was like why did you keep calling me he didn't say that he was like oh I'm, I'm doing really well but if I need something I'll I'll call you <laughs> and then I explained to him he was like oh that's really nice he's like he's, he's a bit old he was like I've never had this before Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's strange because I would always check in. He's like, no, I appreciate it, but like, don't worry. I think he thought that mm. I was stressed about him because the place he was at was challenging. Yeah. Um, that is also a lesson, right? Because like, you, it is also important to know and understand how people like to be communicated with. Exactly, because not everyone wants to chat to me every week. I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at least you you know when you've got your check-in points, you know yeah. how to communicate. Some of them literally just like, like I've got WhatsApp group chats with some of my contractors, mm. like, just random stuff gets sent in there. Like, what's your WhatsApp group called? <laughs> it's called Secondary Squad. Nice. No, I thought that, that might have been an interesting <laughs> name there. Secondary Squad. The reason for that is because I placed a group of them at a company before. Yeah. And they made their own WhatsApp group. 
Right. And you what felt left out, so. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> I felt left out because that happened once I'd left and I was in my restrictive covenants. Yeah. And then a couple of them stopped contracting. So then I made a new one with the contractors. Right. We're actually going axoring in a couple of weeks. I'm buzzing for it. How much do you invest in contractor care? Obviously, you're talking about it now time. Yeah. But like, as a, now you're, as a business, these are the sort of decisions and money that you can put into, right? Contractor care, because that's also an important thing, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, at Christmas time, I'll take all my contractors out mm. just for like an activity or a meal or something like that. And then throughout the year, I'll try and see them like, at probably like halfway through their contract or something like that. Depends on location. Yeah. I'm lucky that a few of mine are London-based at the moment. Mm. I'm going up to Nottingham on Monday for a contractor dinner. That stuff's invaluable because you look at the margins, what they're making you. Mm. Like, if you're not being encouraged to go and meet your contractors... And reinvesting some lives, of that profit yeah. into those types of things. You have to. No like, it just shows that you actually care about them because you'd be surprised. Like, some people aren't allowed to go meet their contractors. Like, I've been lucky that I've been in businesses where it's always encouraged. Not allowed. Yeah, I know. I was interviewing really? someone and they were like, "Yeah, we, we don't, we don't do that." And That's I was wild. like, well, "If not, why not?" Like, you've got to put that effort in to get the returns because when they finish that contract, who are they going to come to for the next contract? They're mm. going to come to you. Mm. And if they hear about something, they'll let you know. Mm. So, what are some of the like? We've spoken a lot already. You were just touching on it there, but we've spoken a lot around Hasina as the contract recruiter and you know how you've gone about your craft. What are some of the the mindset shifts that you've had to have since having this business with Chris, because it is a different mindset. Yeah. It's like, it's a different responsibility. Like, yes, of course, you have to generate revenue, particularly with where you are on your business journey. Like you and Chris have to be generating a revenue or impacting revenue. Like, how have you had to change your, your mindset towards being now you're a co-founder of a, of a business? Yeah, I think so. At HRS, I had a period where I didn't have a manager. And I think that really helped me because it made me look at, and I was coached quite well in terms of, it made me look at, you know, how much money am I risking to get like a return? So it made me look at margins and things like that and making mm. sure that it's appropriate. Because now that I'm a business owner, like my contractors are on big money. They're on mm. like a thousand pounds a day plus. Mm. And when we started, I certainly couldn't afford to pay that to them every week. So we had like a funding partner mm. who did that for us. Now we use Raise, I don't know if you know them. No. But they're sort of another funding partner. And what they do is they mirror what we want really well. Like, absolutely fantastic. And stuff like that, like making those decisions, because now I've got to factor in that I've got to pay like a, a charge to them. So the way I think of it is, okay, so I've got to pay that off the back of every invoice that's generated. But I see that as like a service charge. So like instead mm. of paying someone to come in, write the contract, see the timesheets, I consider it like that. Mm. And you've also got to think about every single decision. So if you're looking at a new software or, you know, something for the staff or something like that, you've got to think, OK, so what will this cost and what will the returns be? Mm. Because ultimately you're a business and you've got to survive. And it's having that sort of like entrepreneurial mindset where you've got to think what's the impact of, you know, getting this in or something like that. So if you're listening to this and you're, you may have aspirations to have your own business... Like what I take from that is like really try and be intentional about being in the rooms and conversations that you experienced by accident, it seems, where you didn't have a manager for a bit and then you yeah. got exposed to these things. That's actually ended up being really helpful because yeah. you're actually learning to understand the commercials and how HRS make their money or how it's all calculated rather than just when you're an employee, you just care about the, the number that you got on the board yeah. and like when you're getting paid, right? You're not really thinking about yeah, exactly. those sorts of things. Yeah, you've got to think about what's the impact. Like, am I risking a thousand pounds a day to only get like a hundred pounds back that's not going to be worth it mm. because if your client goes bust and they don't pay you then now what 
Mm. And you've got to think about it like logically. You've got to think what's going to happen if someone doesn't pay. Like you've always got to think worst case. Mm. Because if you're thinking about like, obviously don't be negative all the time. But if you're thinking about the worst case, like what could happen, then it allows you to sort of like future-proof yourself. Mm. How have you and like... Chris being your manager or you being employees is different to being co-founders? So Chris was my permanent counterpart. So we did the same oh, okay. markets. Yeah. So we worked quite closely together then. And now in terms of like the business, what he tends to do is more sort of like the operational side of things. So like the contracts, payrolls, things like that. And then I'm probably more sort of like sales director. Mm. So I do like the training and all that sort of things for the staff. Um, and was that quite natural for you to end up both doing that? Or did you like have a intentional conversation about these are the things that I'm going to really focus on? Or Well, Chris has got a lot more experience than I do. We're going to listen to this and think I'm calling him old, which I probably am. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got a bit more experience than I do. So like when it comes down to sort of like things like hiring and things like that, like it was just natural that he took the lead on that. Right. And I think that he's more, so he probably was more commercially aware because he was a manager at Old Place and things like that. Mm. But it was just natural in terms of, we looked at it like, what do you enjoy? What do I enjoy? And because we're also best friends, we get along so well and you can just have those upfront conversations of like, you're not going to agree on everything. Yeah. I'll be like, Chris, well, why? And he'll obviously have to explain it, but you're not going to be in complete synergy all the time. Mm. But it's about how you deal with those things that happen. Like if you don't agree on something, mm. what? how are you going to solve it? But I think I wouldn't have been able to do this without having Chris. Like I wouldn't have been able to sit up alone. He's literally been like my backbone or right arm, whatever the saying is. So fr- friendship still strong? Yeah. Best friends. Best friends. <laughs> Love that. No, yeah. That's awesome. I think, you know, I set up my business on my own and like there is it's just completely like different challenges, like yeah. setting up with someone else. Again, that can come with challenges, right? You can butt heads and whatever. But I do think, I'm sure you experience this like now, but like when you, despite how close you are of your like friends or your family, they mm. don't truly know how you're feeling or what you're going through whereas Chris he is in the same shoes as you yeah absolutely like he like, can truly relate and understand because you're both facing yeah. the challenges head on whereas when you're telling your mum about what you do and why you might be a bit stressed and what the challenges are she might make you feel really listen but she, yeah. you know she truly truly doesn't understand yeah she'll be like it's alright it'll be fine <laughs> and it's like well it's not fine like, <laughs> but no I think they say it's lonely at the top but with a mm. co-founder you're not going to be lonely because like you say he's walking the same path mm. And it's like, especially at the start when we weren't building what we were used to, like we weren't earning what we used to. Mm. And that's difficult because you're Mm. used to like a certain lifestyle and then all of a sudden that's stripped away. You've got to, yeah, it's it's so difficult. Because also like, even with friends, I love my friends, but sometimes some of them are like, oh, but you can just take a day off because it's your own business. Oh, you can go in whenever you want. But it's like, when it's your own business, that's when you put in even more work and even more time because like you, like it's your child. Mm. (laughs) Like, Like my best friend's just had a kid and I'm like, that's literally how I feel about my business. Like, I would do anything for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that's awesome. Love that. What have, um, so you mentioned there, what have been some of the, the challenges then on this journey so far that you least expected? I think the hiring piece. Because mm. I wasn't... It's respons- always harder than people think. Yeah, like, I was in interviews previously at my old company, HRS, but I was never in charge of, like, bringing the people in. So we've probably spoken to, like, well over 100 people in terms mm. of interviewing. Like, we started hiring over a year ago now. But the process was a lot longer than we thought because we've got such a specific vision and what we want and our values are like important to us. Not everyone says that, Mm. but we're going to hire people who mirror what our vision is. And it's difficult to find people who buy into that because 
like I've said it to Chris, I'm like, no one will care as much about this business as we do. And we can't expect that from anyone because it's not theirs. They've not been there from the start. What you can do is get people who want to align with you and have that impact. And I think it's also sort of making sure that you're hiring the right people in because that's something that if, especially when you're so small, if someone's not aligned to what you're doing, then that's going to have a huge impact on the team. Yeah, I mean, the first person I heard, I had to let go. Oh, it's hard. Rip. <laughs> RIP. But it's, it's, I've had to let two people go so far yeah. on my journey. But it is true, particularly, obviously, you're five people, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm four, including me. What I love what you just said there, because sometimes, even though the things that you just said around, like, we can't expect them to care about the business as much as we care about it. Yeah. That's so the right thing, but you can often feel like when you're a small business, like, why won't they just, like, just put in just a bit more effort or whatever, but you can't... It's, yeah. Like you said, you can't. It's not. It's not their business, right? But sometimes you can have those expectations. But when you are a small size, mm. you can really pick up on quickly when someone's like not right or they're, they're It's a net negative of like what they're doing to like the energy and and the group. Yeah, exactly. And you got you got to take action on that. Yeah, I learned no. that from the first one. I, it went on for too long. Yeah, and then the the second person, it was people interview different <laughs> to yeah. when you hire them. It, but like you've got to, I feel like at all costs, particularly at the early stage, you've got to protect your culture at all costs. Yeah, exactly. You just have to. It's the right thing. A real quick one from me, and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I am also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago. And we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode. Because also, it's not just that. It's like you're paying for them to be with you. Mm. And if they're not aligning to what you want, so we've had two people that haven't worked out. Mm. First one was honestly a great guy, but he was quite young. And then he realised sales isn't for him, which Mm. is fine. And then the second one was someone who's experienced. But if they kind of aren't aligned to what you want and doing things how you want them, like without sounding spoiled, but it's my business like we need no, that's, like, that's why yeah. you started it like and you've and got to protect like, that that's, yeah because that's it's, it's a cost to me like i'm paying for you to be here but then also at the same time you know you, you give it time you let it, you you hope it works because mm. you want it to and i think it's also like a few other co-founders i know they say that it's a pride thing they're like when you've got staff you sometimes don't want to let them go because it's like you feel like you failed mm. but it's actually not that like the bigger failure will be keeping them for way too long yeah, you got to take the emotion out of it. That was the first one for me. Yeah. Like, it's just, you got to, particularly when you're early on and it's like the first couple of hires, you you want them to work out, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Like, we're really lucky. Like, the team that we've got right now is so, so good. And we've got someone else who's joining in February. Mm. And we're buzzing for that because that person aligns with exactly what we want. 
Did you change? So one of the things that I did was I really I changed the interview process quite a bit when I learned from the the second one. So you're saying that you've had to be really have clarity on that they align with the things that you care about. Have you done anything in the interview process or changed it to really uncover if they actually align with what you're looking for? I think we generally so the interview process will be like whoever finds them, Chris or I, mm. will do like an initial phone call. Mm. Then if that goes well, Teams call. And then if that goes well, in person. And I think that speaking to us both separately, like if if I interview someone and I like them and then they go to the next stage with Chris and Chris isn't sure, we probably won't pursue it. Right. Because if you're not 100% invested in the interview, then like, what are you doing? Like if they've not impressed you then, then mm. like, what, why would we pursue it? And I think each one of the interviews that we've had have got better and better. Nice. In terms of like the calibre. So we're... We have such a high standard now because of the people that we've got in the business and what we expect from the interviews. Like a couple of the guys that we've got now, they were so relaxed in their interview. We were like, these guys are like, they're just so like normal, which mm. is hard to find. Like speaking yeah. to hundreds of people who want to do recruitment. Hundreds one of people that want to do recruitment. Yeah, I know, crazy. Don't let your TikTok comment section see that. <laughs> um, but like I had one guy who was like, I want to do pharmaceutical recruitment. Really? I was like, okay. Why? Tell I, I said, tell me one thing that you've read in the news that's sort of interests you about the pharmaceutical industry and he literally said i don't know oh, i was like you literally could have said covid19 and i would have thought that's better we than that we would have carried it on yeah. yeah like anything like what's wrong with you like yeah <laughs> red flag yeah literally so it's kind of just like yeah making sure that I don't know, it's, it's very, interviews that I do are very conversational. Yeah, fair. I, I do think it's worth, like, if you're very clear on what those things are, you, you definitely want to think about, you want some, like, specific questions in there that you feel are nice. Because one of the things that I added, which I couldn't believe I didn't do before, but when I was hiring for the sales role, the first person I hired, it was very, like, conversational on these things. But then when I learned from that, the second time around, I got some advice on the interview process. And yeah. In, as part of the interview process, what they had to do was some of the like tasks that they were going to have to do in their role. So I actually got an opportunity to see how they would approach writing an email, how they would... We did like a role play to start the interview. Oh, wow. It was just, because when this person started, I was like, oh my God, they're, they're like so off or like... And the the second time round, we had a phone call, did all the yeah. conversational stuff, but then I just did a task in between the face to face where it was, this is what our ideal customer profile looks like. Yeah. I want you to find five companies that you feel fit that, and I want you to identify one person in one of those companies, and I want you to write an email that you think would get them curious about our solution, which I told oh, them wow. about. Yeah. And then in the interview, we then did a uh, role play, which was right. I'm now going to at the person that you emailed. Like, let's play out how you'd approach that call. And it was unreal to, like, see how they would approach it yeah. before we've even, like, hired them. No, so the best interview I ever had it was a guy who's experienced in recruitment, Jewel Desk. Chris and I went on teams with him. And then he says, contract recruitment's easy. Oh. And I just looked at him, I was like, you what? <laughs> what? And he was like, yeah. Easy. Like, I gave him the chance to think about what he'd said and see if he'd, like, try and sort of, like, explain it. And he was like, yeah, contract recruitment's easy. And I was like, okay, well, let's look at your billings. Over the last 24 months, you've done two contract deals. If contract recruitment is so easy, then why have you not done more than two? And he's like, oh, it's different for me. And I was like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you talking Silly, about? Like, yeah. don't don't talk to someone who's built their contract career in That is a wild statement to say. Literally, I was like, honestly, it's a no from me. Yeah, fair. So talk to us about what, what are you excited about then? So we're, you've, you know, two years in, you're, you're two years into the journey. Like, talk to us a bit about what you're excited about going into year three. 
Yeah, so I think year three for us really will be growth. Mm. Um, so we'll be six in February. I think if we end, if this time next year we're on 10, I'll be happy. Mm. And I think our US divisions where we're going to channel a lot of efforts next year. The US is something that Chris has always been passionate about. And we've also got, so our first employee, she's from the United States. Mm. And she's starting to build out that sort of division for us. What, contract or perm? Perm. Nice. You think about doing the contract there or? Potentially. Mm. I think it depends very much on, so US contract is completely different with different mm. laws and things like that. So like it can differ per state, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think once my contract team is the best in the UK, mm. then we'll look at what geography we want to go to next. But I'm thinking Europe mainly because I've got connections out there already. Mm. Time difference isn't as bad. Not so much of a language barrier because most of them, most of the clients speak English anyway. Mm. But yeah, our US division on the perm side is what we'll probably develop next year. Exciting. So yeah, I'm buzzing for that party in the USA. <laughs> let's go. I think, yeah, look, kudos to you. I think obviously, you. you know, think about it. Let's not forget that you, you did send that message at 3am saying, I'm not sure I could do it. And you're now, because I'm sure it's easy to forget that, that you felt like that, right? Yeah. But you're now two years in, like, you know, whenever we speak, you seem super energetic. I'm sure you're in, enjoying it most of the time. It's hard, but yeah. you're in it right now. You're, you're building your business and that's the really great thing about our industry. Like you can, you work mm. hard, you can apply your skills, you can learn some of the things that you're learning along the way. Yeah. But you know, you're, you're building a business. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, look, thank you so much for coming on the pod. No, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.